You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. This is uh, part of the God in Hollywood series. I'm so excited to preach this message to you. So let's have a look at the screen. We're going to see three clips from my favorite, favorite movies. 1938, two high school students, Jerry Spiegel and Joel Schuster, invented Superman. It was just a few years after the Great Depression. America was still staggering, stumbling in hopelessness. Not uh, economic security was, was uh, still very, very fractured. And two high school students invented Superman drawing on their Jewish roots and their Jewish background. And they knew that America needed to believe again and America needed hope again. Uh, I'm not sure whether it was the Holy Ghost hijacking or whether they were intentional. But Superman is a type of Christ. He's a type of Jesus. He's a shadow of Jesus. Uh, you probably would have heard in the first clip there, his name is Kal-El. Kal-El is the Hebrew for son of God. Uh, his father's name uh, is Jor-El. Jor-El is voice of God. And you'll find that all the way through the movie that Kal-El continually finds strength from drawing away from everybody to be with Jorel, the voice of God, to hear again his father's voice, giving him clarity, giving him direction, giving him guidance, giving him strength. The final clip there that you saw was uh, Lois Lane because uh, Superman had to leave. He had to go away for a season. And, uh, and so she was quite hurt. She wanted, she had a romantic interest in Superman and she wanted him all to herself. And he, he kind of toyed with the idea and then realized that for him to devote himself just to her at the expense of everybody else uh, would greatly be at the detriment of, of humanity. And so he made a very, very tough call. And so she wrote a paper that ended up winning a Nobel Prize saying the world does not need a savior. So in the final clip, he takes her right up above the cities and the skyline and they're floating above the skyline. He says, do you hear that? She says, I don't hear anything. He says, I do. I hear everything. You once wrote that the world doesn't need a savior, but every day I hear the world crying for one. I, I like that because uh, in 1938, when they invented Superman, uh, you, you notice that his outfit, his costume is red, white, and blue. And the original Superman was for, for truth, for liberty, and for the American way. Truth, liberty, and the American way. Uh, today we live in a battle. And may I tell you that this battle has not changed. This is the same battle that has been going on for over 6,000 years. And it's the, the, the players change, but it's the same chess pieces. It's the same chess piece with every generation. One thing that history tells us is that you and I as human beings don't learn from history. The book of Ecclesiastes three times says that which is has been before and that which will be has, has come again. That, this, that history is on a complete cycle and you don't have to take the, the Bible for it. There, there are two uh, university professors who wrote a book called The Fourth Turning and after studying 5,500 years of human activity found that every century 
every century repeats the mistakes of the previous century, that there is a, a fourth turning and there's a, there's a cycle that, that happens with humanity because we refuse to learn from history. The Bible injects into this that there, there are two sources. One, the Bible says, is the Word of God, and the other one is what the Bible calls false prophets and false teachers. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, beware of false prophets and beware of false teachers. What's the difference? It's really very simple. A false teacher will lie to you about things that are past. Because a teacher teaches you that which has been established. That's what a teacher does. So they will, the people that try and rewrite history, a false prophet will lie to you about the future. In 12 years time, the, the earth won't be anymore. By the year 2013, polar bears will be extinct. They, they lie about the future. No one calls them out. They lie about the past. One of the, the lies that are prevalent right now is that America, from its inception, has been an incredibly racist nation. Incredibly racist nation. It's funny because if, if we were racist, I wonder why we would spend so much of our blood and so much of our treasure going to liberate nations all around the world of all kinds of ethnicities around the world at our expense, requiring nothing of them, asking nothing of them. But we send our troops, we send our soldiers, we send our Marines there to relieve them of dictatorships, to relieve them of oppressors, to relieve them of people exploiting them. I wonder, I wonder why Thomas Jefferson takes his quill and writes and you may say well he owned slaves but at the time that he owned slaves he wrote in what you and I know today is our constitution that all men are created equal setting off a domino effect that one day would eventuate with a reverend Dr. Martin Luther King not, not keeping his religion from politics, not keeping his faith from the political sphere but, but rising up and saying that I have a dream that every man should be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I, I wonder, it was Thomas Jefferson putting in motion the, the fact that there was an Alabama bus boycott because Rosa Parks had no more back of the bus in her. She ain't moving to the back of the bus because somebody wrote that we are all created equal and how come I got to move to the back of the bus and give up my... It's be, let me just tell you, America, don't listen to the lies of the culture. Somebody say, Amen. So I say all of that to let you know that you're in a house of truth tonight. You're in a house of truth. I could care less about offending people because I've got to stand before God. And I don't want to get a whooping from God on that day because I cared more about the face of men than I cared about the face of God. So, but I don't, I don't intentionally want to offend people because offended people... Bible says a brother offended is harder to win than bars of a car. So what I want to do is I want to speak the truth because you need to make a decision. You need to make decisions based on the truth. My job is to bring the truth of the Word of God to let you know. And uh, Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So I say all of that to say this. The title of my message tonight is The Power Secret. The Power Secret. Superman has a power. Superman has power to be a savior. Why? Because he was born in a different world. Can I just tell you, you as a born-again Christian, the moment you were born again, you were born of a different world. You were born of a different kingdom. You were born of a spirit that has no end. You were born of a kingdom that is going to be the everlasting kingdom. The moment you were born again, you need to understand there is a power that began to flow through to you. Jesus says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem till you receive power. 
He said, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves, but I ain't sending you out there to your demise. I ain't sending you out there to be massacred and torn apart. I'm sending, out, sending you out, even though you're, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves, the wolves ain't going to dominate. You are going to dominate. You are going to turn the world upside down. How do we know that happened? Because just a few chapters later in the book of Acts, the people got together, the governors of the region got together and said, the same men who were turning the world upside down have now entered this city. Man, what do we do? And they, when they examined them, they realized these were uneducated and untrained men. Then they realized these guys had been with Jesus. Why? Because they had power. Miracles, signs, and wonders began to flow because they had power. You were created to walk with the power of God. At this church, based on my understanding of the Scripture and my theology, I do not believe that God wants you to be powerless. When we came to San Diego, they told us, if you want to build a big church, don't be a spirit-filled church. Whatever you do, don't speak in tongues. Whatever you do, don't pray for the sick. If people fall over, it's going to freak people out. You know, don't, don't, don't go for the gifts of the Spirit. But we just decided that, that God wasn't sending us from Sydney to San Diego to give San Diego what they already got. There's already enough powerless churches. We don't need to add another one to the list. We may be powerless, but we've got a cool logo. We may be powerless, but we have cool lattes. We may be powerless, but we've got awesome lights. I'd rather have no lattes, no lights, no cool logos, but have some power. Because every day people walk into this church and they need a savior. Every day people walk into this house and they need a miracle. Every day people walk into this house and they've got a bad diagnosis, a bad prognosis. Every day people walking in struggling for answers. We better have some power available. We better have some power available. And the good thing is the Holy Ghost is the source of power. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. You were created to walk in. You weren't created to be dominated. You were created to dominate every sphere. Blessed in the city, blessed in the country. Blessed going in, blessed going out. The, the head, not the tail. Above only, not beneath. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You were created to walk in power. But there's a power secret. And tonight I want to share that power secret with you. So come with me to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16 verse 4 says, And afterward it happened. This is talking about Samson. Samson had a power. At, at one point the, the, his own people, the Israelites, tied him up and delivered him. They're like, man... He is creating havoc and we just want to live. We don't mind being slaves and subservient to the Philistines. But this guy, Samson, is, is jacking everything up. And so they said to the Israelites, well, listen, we'll leave you alone and we'll be kind to you. Just hand over Samson. So they said, Samson, we're handing you over. And he's like, all right, just promise me you won't kill me yourself. They're like, we promise. So they, they, they tie him up and they bring him out. And the Bible says that one man goes out and there's something like 6,000 soldiers from the Philistines come to arrest one man. That's how much of a threat Samson was. That's how much power he, he had. And the Bible says when they come out to arrest him as the Israelites handed him over, here he is and, and sent him off. Just as they're about to receive him, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and pff, he began to snap all the ropes. And he looked down and there was a donkey. And he took the jawbone of the donkey and just began to... And 
just began to explode heads. Heads were, and the Bible says within within about 15 minutes he had destroyed 1,000 men, so that the other 5,000 tucked tail and ran for their lives. That's how much power this guy had. He was a menace to the kingdom of darkness. He was a menace to the devil. And so watch this. So it says that it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. My, 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 Delilah. And the Lord of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and find out where his great strength lies. They didn't know. We're perplexed. We don't understand where does his, what is the source of his great strength? By what means may we overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him? And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Each one of these lords of the Philistines said, we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. There were anywhere between five and 40 lords of the Philistines. And 1,100 pieces of silver, she was either going to be a multi-millionaire or a multi-multi-millionaire from handing over Samson. Because the devil, the devil hates a church with power. The devil hates a Christian with power. He doesn't want you to know what the power secret is. So watch this. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. Now, if you're dating somebody... Just putting it out there. If you're dating somebody and she wants to take your strength away from you so that you can be whooped and afflicted, you may be dating the wrong girl. I'm just saying. So the Bible says don't be unequally yoked because she was more concerned, more tied to, to the Philistines than she was to Samson. So Samson says to her, if they buy me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I should become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried. And she bound him with them. <laughs> Did you say seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried? What a coincidence. I just happen to have seven fresh bowstrings, not yet tied, dried. Here, let me tie you up. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. Like sign number two. What are all you guys doing in her room? If she's got other men in her room, I don't think she's faithful. <laughs> Samson's not the smartest guy, is he? Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to them, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret, watch this, the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. Three quick thoughts tonight. Number one, this, from this thought comes the other points. From this reality. What, it, what is the power secret? It's very, very simple. The power secret is in consecration. It's in your consecration. Samson, Samson was a Nazarite. 
The Bible says, when the angel came to visit Manoah's wife, she was barren. And he said to her, sweetheart, you're going to have a baby, a child of promise. Not only that, but he's going to be the deliverer of God's people, Israel. He's going to deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. Only he shall be a Nazarite from the womb. You're not to drink any wine. He's not to drink any wine. He's not to, to touch anything that is unclean, like a dead corpse, a dead animal. And he's not to ever cut his hair. So there were three things. Unfortunately, when you read the story of Samson, one of the first things he does is he falls in love with a, a Philistine girl. And so he goes down to Timnah. And Timnah means place of the vines or place of the vineyards. So if you're not meant to go drink wine, don't go to a vineyard. Just saying. But as he gets down there, a young lion happens to jump out of the, the, the vineyards and attacks him. And he tears the young lion apart. The Bible says, as, a, as one would tear apart a young kid goat. Because remember the first time you tore apart it? Anyway, and so, so that's what happened. So he tore, tore it apart like, like one would tear apart a young kid goat. So he's already kind of strike one. The Bible says just a couple of days later, he's walking past the same road and there's the, the lion carcass, but bees are in the lion's carcass and now there's honey and honeycomb in there. So he reaches out his staff and tastes some of the honey and so he takes some of the honeycomb home and he gives it to his mum. He's not meant to touch, or at least not meant to touch, he's feeding off what is unclean. But the one thing that he has left in his consecration to God is he's never cut his hair. The devil doesn't know the secret to his power, but the secret to his power lay in his consecration. Because if we keep reading, the Bible says, finally, after her persistent nagging and whining and crying, he finally tells her his secret. Be careful who you tell the secrets of your life to. And he says, I've never, my hair has never been cut. If my hair is cut, I'll be as weak as any other man. She lulls him to sleep and she shaves off his seven locks. And the Bible says that she says, Arise, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And the Bible says he rose up and shook himself as at other times. The only difference is this time the Spirit of the Lord had left him. And the Bible says the first thing the Philistines did when they overpowered him was they, they took a, a, a poker and they put it into the fire red hot and burnt out both of his eyes. See, the devil knows he can't steal your vision unless he takes away your power. You want to see a powerful person? They've got vision. A visionless person is a powerless person. Listen to me. When you walk into this house, the first thing you will find when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit speaks. His language is visions and dreams. In the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy even on your maidservants. Young men will see visions. Old men dream dreams. The language of the Holy Spirit is visions and dreams. Visions and dreams is God seeding you. God putting pictures, snapshots of a future that can be. You may have come in second generation divorce and, and brokenness, but God has shown you a picture of, of you being married for all your days, happily married. You may have come from poverty, but God's going to show you a picture of prosperity, of blessing. You may have come from sickness, and had, to, but in the house of God, God will begin to 
but but you need to understand the devil knows if he can take away your power then all of a sudden you're going to give up on your vision man i've got no power how can that ever be i'm never going to get i've got no power to change my circumstance man i got no power to change the doctor's diagnosis i got no power in the marketplace i got no power over the the devil knows if he can take your power he can take your vision but god is raising a brand new generation come on somebody and god is raising a brand new church that is unafraid and unashamed to move in the power but the power is linked to the consecration power is linked to his consecration as soon as his consecration was taken away the power left consecration is is uh is 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 your devotion it's your devotion to the things of god now watch this i need you to understand this that samson had weaknesses that did not disqualify him from power I've heard, always heard this preach that it was his weaknesses that lost his power. No, it wasn't. He had, he had weaknesses. But the power never left because he had weaknesses. You may say, well, you don't understand, Pastor. I still struggle with, with you know, cussing. I still struggle with, you know, chewing tobacco. Hopefully not Isaac, but... Uh, <laughs> You may struggle with bad temper, bad attitude. It's interesting. He struggled. He had weaknesses. All the weaknesses did was created ramparts for the enemy to come in. See, his parents tried to censure him. Man, why are you chasing exotic foreign women? What's, is, is there no bride amongst the Israelites? Is there no beautiful, but there was just something about him that could not, that would not receive correction. So his weaknesses end up becoming access, access points to the enemy. Might have been a different story if, if he submitted himself to discipleship. That's why you need people in your life to tell you that's a dumb idea. Why are you dating that person? That person's a jack wagon. <laughs> They're going to take you out of the house, not bring you into the house. That's what you need. So you're, 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 the place of your consecration is the place of your power. Come to the, the second one. Second one is in Matthew 17. Matthew chapter 17. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, as you're turning there, Matthew chapter 17. We're going to read one, one to three and then, and then move on. Uh, many years ago, I remember getting saved. And I got saved at 18 years of age. And I got saved on a beach. And I remember being in church and got introduced to, you know, some guys who were around my age and we kind of hit it off after church. Well, a couple of Friday nights later, we decided we're going to go into our city and, and we're going to, you know, do some street witnessing, some evangelism. And I'm witnessing outside of this nightclub and who should stagger out of the nightclub but two of these guys that I met at church. And they're both inebriated. And I'm just like, what the jack are you guys doing? And they were like shocked, oh, 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 man. And so I pulled one of them aside who became one of my best friends. And I said, what, what, what are you doing? I'm trying to witness to these people. You go to church and you, you behave just like everybody else. And he says, well, it's all right for you. I said, what do you mean? He goes, God does stuff in your life. God doesn't do anything in my life. It's all right for you. It's easy for you to believe. God does all these great things in your life. So I remember driving home going, God, what the deal? Why don't you do stuff in their life? Don't you want them to believe? Don't you want them to be on fire like I'm on fire? And God said, oh, Jurgs, it's not that I don't want to do anything. Or He says, I want to do stuff. He says, the difference between you and your friend is you've given me 
all of your life. So I can do a lot in there. He says, but your friend, he's only given me the tiniest sliver and I can't do a whole lot in there. How much of you does God have? The devil, the devil will go after your consecration. He'll give you every reason to be flaky, to be shaky, to be lukewarm, to backpedal. Make a decision today. I'm drawing a line in the sand. When I got saved, I lost all my friends. All my friends turned against me because the devil could see that I was wounded from father rejection. And I lived for people's approval. And I lost friend after friend after friend because I'd become a Christian. But here's the thing. When I got born again, when I had that encounter with Jesus, the hole on the inside was filled for the first time. For the first time in 18 years of living, I finally felt peace. I felt warmth. I felt loved and I felt accepted. I couldn't explain it in words. I just felt it. That hole on the inside was filled. And I didn't want to lose that to have what I already had that wasn't fulfilling me. So I gladly just said, you know what, if I, if I have to lose all of my friends to keep Jesus, then so be it. What was God doing? God was digging down. The Holy Spirit was my helper, helping me to, to draw the lines in the sand of consecration. Everything we have today in San Diego, it's not because I'm so smart. When I went to Bible school, there were people who were second generation, third generation, fourth generation preachers' kids. Man, they knew the Bible back to front. They knew church. They knew the cadences and the ethics. And they knew, I knew nothing. I knew nothing. But I look around at what God has done today and, you know, and I can't take any credit for it. All I know is that, that there's a power that flows over this house. There's a power that flows over my life. I have favor everywhere I go. It's not because I'm so clever, but it's because I made a decision that come hell or high water, I'm going to be serving Jesus Christ. You can beat me with rods. You can, I ain't ever turning my back. I'm going to be a servant of Jesus Christ most high. And I, there's something about consecration. Don't let the devil steal your consecration because it's the key to your power. So come now, Matthew 17. It says, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with them. What an unbelievable passage. So Peter takes, uh, Jesus takes Peter, James and John and they go up onto a high mountain. We were there at the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and he takes them up there and when he gets up there, all of a sudden, whoosh, he starts glowing. His face starts like, looks like the sun and his, white, his clothes become white like light. So the disciples are freaking. Then it gets worse. Foom, foom. Moses and Elijah appear. So the next verse says, Peter's freaking out. It's like, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. The Bible says, no sooner had, fi- had Peter finished speaking than a cloud overshadows the area and a voice comes out of the cloud saying, this is my son, Simba. Excuse me. This is my beloved son. Hear him. And when, they, when the cloud passed, they didn't see Moses and Elijah anymore. They saw Jesus only. Because Moses and Elijah speak to the law and the prophets. And the law and the prophets are completely fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and he's the fulfillment of all the prophets. All the prophets and all the law pointed to Jesus Christ. If you have Jesus, you have the law and the prophets in their fulfillment. And so now the Bible says, we'll read in a sec, they come down from the mountain. I think it's from verse 14. 
they come down from the mountain. It says, and when they had come back down to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. He is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. It's got to be the saddest verse in the entire Bible. So I brought my demonized son. I brought my son who's afflicted by a devil that, that throws him into the fire. Little kids got burns all over him. Throws him into the water trying to drown him. You don't know how many times I've just gotten there in time to pull him out and resuscitate him. I go to work and I don't know whether this is the day where I'm going to get home and my wife's going to be at, meet me at the door in tears saying I wasn't quick enough. I just turned my back for a minute and now our boy's dead. And he says, and I brought my, my son to your disciples, but they could not cure him. This is interesting because this is Matthew 17. Skip back seven chapters, Matthew 10. The Bible says Jesus called the disciples to himself. Consecration, Jesus called the disciples to himself and gave them power. Power flows from your consecration to Jesus. The first call is not to preach. The first call is not to minister. The first call is to be with Jesus. He called the disciples to himself and then he gave them power to heal sickness. He gave them power to heal diseases. He gave them power over unclean spirits. He gave them power to cast out demons. The Bible says they went out casting demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing lepers. And the Bible says that when they came back, they came back rejoicing that even the demons submit to them in Jesus' name. Now, seven chapters later, they've lost the power. Seven, seven chapters later, the man heard about what they did and, they're trying to, and they can't cast it out. Now, Jesus had how many disciples? Twelve. How many did He take up onto the mountain with Him? Three, Peter, James and John. So when the man brought his son to the disciples, did he bring him to the nine or to the three? To the nine. Where were the nine? In the village. Where were the three? On the mountain with Jesus. Jesus was making a distinction. Jesus was modeling what he was teaching, teaching what he was modeling. He was up in the presence of God. So watch this. Watch what it says. Then Jesus answered when he says they could not cure him. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring the boy to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately. And they said to him, why could we not cast it out? We don't understand. We're doing it before we come to it now. Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because I'm the Messiah. This is big boy stuff and you're just little plebs. Is that what your Bible says? It says, because of your unbelief. For surely I say, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this man, move from here to there and it will, nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. By prayer and fasting. What is prayer and fasting? Consecration. Point number two is word versus world. Word versus world. Watch this. Watch this. When Jesus hears that the disciples could not cast out the demon, Jesus' first response was a commentary on the culture. I brought my son to your disciples that they might cure him, but they could not. Jesus' first commentary is on the culture. Oh, faithless 
and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring the child to me. Can I just tell you that in 2,000 years of history, nothing has changed. If you said, what's the culture of America today? I would say faithless and perverse generation. Why would you say that? Well, I would tell you this, because when, when faith goes down, perversion goes up. They wanted to get rid of prayer out of the schools. So prayer left the schools, but, but school shootings went up. They wanted to get rid of prayer and Bible teaching out of the They got rid of prayer and Bible teaching out of the schools and sexually transmitted diseases went up. They got rid of prayer, Bible, and Scripture out of schools. And now we have unwanted pregnancies, teen pregnancies, abortions, all kinds of... The, the, the devil, he knows that if he can get rid of faith, he can increase perversion. When a land loses it, Jesus, when he, he said, when I return, will I really find faith in the earth? He didn't say, when I return, will I find love? He didn't say, when I return, will I find justice? He didn't say, when I, when I return, will I find peace? He says, when I return, even more resolute, the devil goes after than justice, than love, than peace, is faith. Because he knows that faith is the conduit where the power of God travels. Every miracle that Jesus performed, according to your faith, let it be so. Oh, daughter, great is your faith, let it be to you. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you well. It was always faith that allowed the power of God to travel. The devil doesn't want there to be faith in the earth because he knows that faith is the landing strip of the power of God. And every time the power of God lands, miracles and breakthroughs come and every miracle and breakthrough is a sign and a wonder pointing people to a Savior called Jesus Christ. So the devil knows if I go after faith, I can get people just living according to their impulses and their most base desires and I can get perversion going up. Here's the thing about perversion. There is no perversion that will ever satisfy you. Why do you think it gets more and more wicked? Why do you think it starts with homosexuality and ends in pedophilia and bestiality? Because it never satisfies there is no sin, there is no perversion that can satisfy you. The only thing that satisfies is not Snickers. The only thing that satisfies is Jesus Christ. The day that Jesus Christ stepped into my life, satisfaction came. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. He who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited in evil. So, the, so, so here Jesus, the disciples come and they say, how come we couldn't cast it out? And He says, because of your unbelief. In other words, you've become like your culture. It's a faithless, perverse generation and you have unbelief because you spent so much time in the world and are not enough time in the Word. This is worth writing down. If you've become affected, you cease to be effective. Okay, you didn't even catch that. If you have become affected, you have ceased to be effective. The great battle in my life is to not allow the culture of the world to affect me in such a place that I am ineffective for the things of God. I, when I was born again, I was not born again by a spirit of this world. I was born again from a spirit that is of another stratosphere. I was born again of an eternal kingdom. The power of God lives on the inside of me. I made a decision I ain't gonna compromise what God has put inside of me by feeding and feasting on the filth of the world. I made a decision. I'm not a world person, I'm a word person. But the devil knows if he can get you affected, he can render you ineffective. Your consecration is the place of your power. 
Why do you think we have Tuesday morning men's prayer meetings? Thursday morning women's prayer meetings? Why do you think we have Monday night empowerment nights? Why do you think we have connect, develop, empower? We do all of those things because we know the more we can get you in the Word, the more we can get you, the more we can get you consecrated. Why do we have a night service? Isn't a morning service enough? Can't people just come in the morning? But there's something about a double dip. There's something about a second dose of the Holy Ghost. There's something about a ministry service. There's something about being dedicated you'll find that there's a flow of power wherever there's consecration. The one thing that God has always looked for is consecration. John the Baptist was in the wildernesses, in the deserts, until the day of his manifestation to Israel. There's something about this man, he had power. The Bible says that people came from all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, from all over the land to go and hear John in the desert. There's no air conditioning in the desert, we were just there. They had synagogues that had breezes and shade and seating. And John is preaching in the desert. And the Bible says the whole countryside went out to hear John. People weren't crossing the street to hear another sermon because there were just words in the synagogue. But out in the desert, there was a voice. There were words in the synagogue, but there was a voice in the wilderness. Where did the voice come from? Consecration. There was a power on his words. If you want power, it comes in consecration. I don't like this preaching. It's the truth. The power secret is consecration. Are oh, they just trying to get us to, to you know, join a team? They need volunteers to run this machine. Can I just tell you, the greatest way to fast track your promotion in the kingdom is serving. Jesus came, Jesus came and said, listen, I'm the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, but I haven't come to be served, but to serve. Lay my life down. Jesus said, well, we desires to be great, let him become least and the servant of all. God elevates on a different sphere, on a different plane to this world. The world exalts gifts. God exalts by fruit. There are the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Begin to serve. The last one. Man, I've almost run. Oh, dear goodness. Last one, number, number three, time. I don't have time to read the Scripture, but in, in uh, Daniel chapter 6, you can look it up later. Daniel chapter 6 verses 1 to 11 tells the story of Daniel being elevated by the king. The Bible says the king gave thought to setting him over the entire realm. The governors and the satraps were so jealous because Daniel was a slave. Daniel was a slave. He was captured in Israel and he was taken to Persia. He was taken to Babylon as a slave. But the Bible says that Daniel had a spirit of excellence. See, they called him a slave. Every day they made him feel like a slave. They treated him like a slave. He was labeled a slave. He was a foreigner. He spoke a different language. He had a different culture, but he never adopted what they said about him. They said he was a slave. He says, no, no, my name is Daniel. God is my judge. You ain't telling me who I am. I'll go to God. Thank you for that information. Are oh, you ain't going to tell me about my identity? I get that from God. Thank you very much. Are oh, you ain't going to tell me about my destiny? I get that from God. The Bible says that Daniel could interpret visions, dreams, omens, and interpret things. And now all of a sudden, because he was the wisest man, they, the king gave thought to elevating him over the entire region. Well, the governors and the satraps said, man, we're going to do something about slave boy over here because we're, we're, we're locals we're national born and here's this slave that he's going to put over us because there's something from God in him they said let's find some weaknesses so they looked at everything but all his books were clean all, all the 
his money management, his stewardship, every cent was accounted for. They couldn't find anything. And then they realized the only way we can trap him is in his consecration. The only way we can trap him is in point number three, his dedication, his dedication to God. So they come to the king. They said, oh, king, live forever. King, we want to set forth a decree that anybody, any man or woman that prays to any other God other than you. Yes, King, that's right. You heard correctly. When we look at you, we see a God. We're not sure whether you're Adonis or Zeus, but you're quite godlike. And the King, you know, he's like, well, thanks for noticing. Well, thank you. Well, we've written up a little decree here that any man who prays to any other God other than you for the next 30 days shall be thrown into a lion's den. And, you know, we obviously, you know that the laws of the Medes and Persians cannot be changed once it's written. And so he signs the decree. The Bible says, watch this, as soon as Daniel, as soon as Daniel heard that the decree was signed, he went home, went to his upper room, opened the windows east toward Jerusalem, bowed and prayed three times. He didn't shut the windows and pull the drapes and quietly pray. As soon as he heard, he went home, went upstairs, opened the windows towards Jerusalem, bowed down and prayed three times. Now, most Christians that I know, sadly, 30, ooh, you know, 30 days, well, I guess, you know, need a little break from prayer. 30 days, man, I do that all the time, 30 days without praying. Daniel knows that the penalty for praying is you're going to be thrown into a lion's den. But Daniel is a little smarter than you and I because he thinks, I ain't giving up my dedication, my consecration or my devotion. So if I'm going to go into a lion's den, I'm going to go in there with some power. If I'm going to go into a lion's den, I'm going to go in there with some power. So he doesn't pray once. He prays three times. Well, it just happened that these guys were there to arrest him. They drag him to the king and the king's like, ah. Oh. And the Bible says the king worked all night with his lawyers to try and get Daniel off. Nothing. So they throw him in the lion's den. Daniel's in the lion's den. The next morning, as soon as the sun come up, the king ran to, to the den and had the stone removed and he looks down and he says Daniel, Daniel did your God whom you serve day and night who you are dedicated to did your God save you? In other words is your God a reciprocator of the dedication you have? Do, 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 does your God have the same dedication to you as you do to Him? And the Bible says that Daniel steps into the shaft of light coming down. And he looks up and says, Oh, King, live forever. My God, whom I serve night and day, knew that I've done nothing against you and I've done nothing wrong against him. So he sent his angels and shut the mouths of the lions. They were pacing back and forward, salivating at the mouth, grumbling and growling. But the angel would not let one of them touch me. Nothing harmed me. And the Bible says they pulled Daniel out and he was completely unscathed and untouched. And then the king gave the command to take those men who entrapped him and throw him in. The Bible says before they even hit the bottom, the lions tore him to pieces. See, Daniel was dedicated to God. He refused to let his dedication 
The greatest thing you can do, connect group. Greatest thing you can do, cherish. Greatest thing you can do, emerge. Greatest thing you can do, Sunday, come hell or high water, I'm in the house of God. Man, I'm going through connect. I'm going through develop. I'm going through empower. I'm going through these things because can I tell you, the power secret is in your consecration. Don't let the devil steal your consecration. You were created to walk in power. You were created to dominate in the marketplace. You were created to dominate. And I want you to know, you may say, well, you don't understand, Pastor. I got all these weaknesses. Samson had a whole bunch of weaknesses. He even made stupid decisions when it came to girlfriends. But God still used him mightily. I'd love to tell you that I've eliminated all weaknesses from my life. That's not true. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com.